<clears throat> let's, uh, let's spend some time in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, thank you. Thank you for fulfilling your promise that you would be a God to us and to our children after us. We have no greater joy than this, than seeing our children walking in the truth. So Lord, may all of us who have seen Bella's profession of faith this morning and her baptism, may we remember our own saving faith and our own baptism. And Lord, if there's any here this morning who, who don't yet know you as Savior and Lord, would you work in us to, to help us be drawn into a life of faith in you? Lord, use your word this morning in us and then through us in this community to help us become the church, the people that you want us to be for this world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I invite you to turn to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 5, and the passage that I'm going to be teaching on this morning is in 1 Peter 5, verses 5 through 7. So this is God's word. You younger men, likewise be subject to your elders, and all of you clothe yourselves with humility Toward one another. For God is opposed to the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. This is God's word. Now, we've been looking at this book of 1 Peter. And as we've walked through the book of 1 Peter, we've been learning over and over and over again that, that Jesus enables his people to walk with him as his followers, even though we face, at times, incredible hostility against us from the culture around us and even from our own hearts. That Jesus Christ enables us to live as followers of Christ should, even in the midst of a hostile culture and with hostile hearts. And there's no place where this conflict between a follower of Jesus in the midst of the culture is more stark, more clear than in the subject that we come to this morning. And the invitation that Jesus Christ makes to us as his followers to walk humbly with him. You need to know that in the first century, being humble was not thought of as something positive. If you had gone to Barnes & Noble in the first century and you had gone to the self-help section and you had found the book on, in the self-help section about how to live the good life, and you had gone to the religious section, and, and you had found the book that describes how to, how to know God, and you had gone to the spirituality section, and, and you had learned, learned there how to live a, a transcendent existence, or you had gone to the leadership section where you learned how to really help other people. All of the books 
in the first century that described the ethical life would have been summarized in one place, and it was a, it was a document called the Maxims of Delphi. And it was thought to be the summary of the ethical life, the virtuous life. You know the word humility isn't in it one time? Not once. In fact, the Greek word for humility literally means crushed. And that in the first century, people would have thought to be humble would be to be completely shamed. No one wanted to be humble. No one thought that humility was virtuous. Except a group of people who followed the God of Israel. And in their wisdom... In their self-help section, in their leadership section, in their religion section, in their spirituality section, there was one book. It was the Bible. And in that book, there was summarized a virtuous life that was built upon humility, that was built upon brokenness, that was built upon lowliness. And so in God's book of wisdom... Not in the maxims of Delphi, but in God's book of wisdom, we read things like this. We read in Proverbs 11.2, When pride comes, then comes dishonor, but with the humble is wisdom. Or Proverbs 16.19, It's better to be humble in spirit with the lowly than to divide the spoil with the proud. Or Proverbs 29, 23, a man's pride will bring him low, but a humble spirit will obtain honor. Or Proverbs 3, verse 34, that both Peter and James, the brother of Jesus, in his letter to the churches, both of them quote Proverbs 3, 34, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, if we're going to walk humbly, first we need to realize that we need to walk humbly. Like it's not enough just to know that what God says a virtuous life is includes humility. That's not enough. We need to realize that that we really need to become more humble. So let me help you even as I help myself. Let me ask you these few questions. Listen, in in the last week, in the last week, have you boasted or been tempted to point out something positive that you've done? I mean, because look, you, you wanted to make sure people noticed. You'd hate for a good deed to be missed. Or in the past week, Listen, when you failed in the past week, was your first thought to run and tell Jesus? Or was your first thought to real quick do something good to balance the scales and then go talk to Jesus? Listen, in in the past week, have, have you felt the pressure to compare yourself with other people? either positively or negatively. 
The average American spends two hours a day on social media. The younger you get, the more time you spend there. And if you spend any time there, then you are presently suffering from obsessive comparison disorder. All right, one more question. Have you exaggerated about anything in the past week? Or maybe have you even just straight up lied about anything in your life in the past week because you wanted to look good? Listen, we all need Jesus. I need Jesus more than anyone in this room. And so when I read this week these words by Jerry Bridges in his book, The Blessing of Humility, man, this was so encouraging. Keep in mind, I am not saying this is who I am, but rather this is who I would like to be. And I am praying that I will grow in these traits even as I pray you will also. So let's work on them together. What, what do you say for the next few minutes? Let's go to work on humility. We all need it. Let's go to work on humility because God says he gives grace to the humble. So where, where do we start? Well, it starts by understanding what is a humble life. What is a life of humility? What does it look like to walk humbly with Jesus? And this passage, 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7, shows us three ways that Jesus helps us walk humbly with him. Jesus helps us walk humbly, horizontally, man to man, person to person. Jesus helps us walk humbly, vertically, finite persons relating in humility to an infinite personal God, horizontally, in relationship to God, with humility, and then third, internally, internally, in a life being set free more and more from anxiety. So what does it look like to walk humbly with Jesus? It looks like we are clothing ourselves with humility toward one another. Jesus invites us to walk humbly with him, and when we do, we're restored to healthy, humble relationships with one another. Now listen, when, when our daughter was accepted to Gardner-Webb University up in North Carolina, and she um, chose to attend there, when, when we found out that she was going there, the first thing we did was what? We went and bought t-shirts. In fact, my brother-in-law, he got in his car in Charlotte and he drove an hour and a half to Boiling Springs to the bookstore and he bought us all t-shirts, Gardner-Webb dad, Gardner-Webb mom, little coffee cups, Gardner-Webb grandpa and grandma. It was a lot of fun. Because I needed, I, I wanted to join in her new identity as a student at Gardner-Webb. Now, what wouldn't have done? It wouldn't have done for me to take my Presbyterian College sweatshirt. I went to Presbyterian College. It's just down the road from Gardner-Webb. It wouldn't have done 
for me to take my PC sweatshirt and just put a Gardner-Webb sticker in the corner. It wouldn't have done for my wife to take her University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, she's much smarter than I am, her UNC Chapel Hill t-shirt and put a little Gardner-Webb parent sticker on it. It wouldn't have done. And it's the same with Jesus. Jesus doesn't intend to be a lapel pin. Jesus doesn't intend to be one more thing that we add to our identity. Jesus says, clothe yourself with humility. Cover yourself with your identity in me. Take my life into the very center of your life and identify yourself so closely with me that with the way you begin to relate to one another is characterized by humility, by an interest in other people, by a desire to see other people honored, blessed, encouraged, that can't happen if Jesus is the lapel pin in our life. It only happens when we take Jesus into the center of our life. And Jesus, when he moves in, he establishes a new set of relationships with the people around us where we're able to clothe ourselves with humility. He says, you young men, you neos, you new people, Clothe yourselves with humility. You know what that means? It means that humility is not something that you arrive at after walking with Jesus for many, 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 many years. I'm almost humble. No, it means that following Jesus brings humility from the very start. That it is possible from the very first days of following Jesus to be marked by a whole new way of living, a whole new way of relating called the humble life. So that's horizontal, man to man, person to person. What about man to God? What about the vertical? Well, Peter says, therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Submit to God. Now, how would submitting to God lead to a humble walk with Jesus? Well, in C.S. Lewis's chapter on humility in Mere Christianity, he draws out this, this point. When we submit to God, we're saying that he's number one. Okay? Now, now what you want to get clear is that pride is essentially competitive. Is competitive by its very nature. While the other vices are competitive only, so to speak, by accident. Pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having more of it than the next man. We say that people are proud of being rich or clever or good-looking, but they are not. They are proud of being richer or cleverer or better-looking than others. 
If everyone else becomes equally rich or clever or good-looking, there would be nothing to be proud about. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. Once the element of competition has gone, pride has gone. Which means this. When you realize that at best you're number two, if God is number one, if you have submitted yourself to God, which is what walking humbly with Jesus, Jesus includes, then pride, comparison, is cut off. Because at best, we're all number twos. And God is number one. Now, third, internally, horizontally, clothe yourself with humility, Vertically, submit yourself to God. What about internally? Peter says, casting all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Now, how would the gospel, how would Jesus Christ, how would walking humbly with Jesus change us internally? Well, it would rid us of anxiety. Now, not all anxiety is based on our pride, but all pride leads to anxiety. In the movie Chariots of Fire, it's a great movie, one of my favorites, because it's about a missionary, Eric Little, who is also very, very fast. But there's another character, and I am much more like this character than I am Eric Little. His name was Harold Abrams, and he was another sprinter on the English team, and Harold Abrams didn't have faith in God. It wasn't real in his life, and so this is what he said about his life. As he looked up upon a new race that was coming up, he said, and now in one hour's time, I'll be out there again. I'll raise my eyes and look down that corridor four feet wide with ten lonely seconds to justify my existence. But will I? Harold Abrams understands the anxiety that comes from pride. If you, base your, if you base your identity before God or other people on your performance, then you will always be anxious. If you base your identity on what you do for God or for other people, you'll always be anxious. You'll never know if you've done enough. Now, why is it so hard for us why is it so hard for us to walk humbly with Jesus in our relationship with one another, in our relationship with God, in our relationship internally with ourselves? Why is it so hard for us to walk humbly with Jesus? Well, here's why. Because we're swimming against our culture. Listen, did you know that for most of our histories, 
what was thought to be the real problem with man was that man had too high a view of himself. So when people looked at misbehaving children or people looked at people who commit crimes, they thought the problem that this person has is they think too highly of themselves. But for the last hundred years or so, in our culture, we've followed a belief that says that man's basic problem is that they think too lowly of themselves. And so what we really need to do through education and therapy and uh, and other things is we really need to pump people's self-esteem up. We really need to help people have high self-esteem because naturally we have low self-esteem. And the gospel says, neither high self-esteem nor low self-esteem is your problem. The gospel swims against the culture and it identifies the problem not in our self-esteem, but in our lack of Christ-esteem, in our lack of God-esteem, in our lack of wide-eyed wonder at who Jesus Christ is and an unwillingness to do what Jesus says, which is to walk humbly with him. The problem isn't high self-esteem or low self-esteem. The problem is we've been alienated from God through our sin. And so if we are going to pursue gospel humility, following and walking with Jesus humbly, we're going to be going against our culture, whether our culture goes back to the high self-esteem problem or continues in the low self-esteem problem, we're going to be going against the culture. And that's always hard. Now here's the other problem. is not only are we going against our culture and trying to walk humbly with Jesus, we're actually going against our hearts. Because our hearts aren't naturally bent toward humility. Thomas Aquinas said this, It seems to belong to a natural appetite that one wishes one's goodness to be known. Our hearts are just naturally craving affirmation. Our hearts are just naturally craving attention. Our hearts are naturally satisfied only by one's goodness being known. And if what the Bible says is true about the nature of man's goodness, that it's not present, and God's goodness, which is off the charts, then if we're going to pursue humility, we're going to be going against the current, the current of the culture and the currents of our hearts. So how do we get there? By remembering this. We've been invited to walk humbly with Jesus. We're invited to walk humbly with Jesus. That the only thing that can enable us to set aside our pride, to go against the current of our culture, and to go against the current of our own hearts, is the gospel. So how can the gospel enable us to walk humbly with Jesus? Now, as I read this passage this week, it struck me 
that what this passage calls us to do is impossible. It's not just hard. It's impossible. And it's not just impossible, it's dangerous. Now let me point out two things that this passage tells us. It says in verse 5, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And then it says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. So the passage invites us to place ourselves under the mighty hand of God. And the passage says that the mighty hand of God is naturally against us because of our pride. Do you see our problem? If we are born in rebellion against God and we naturally have proud hearts that always want to build glory for ourselves and not for God, and we're called to place ourselves under his mighty right hand, it's like inviting the gazelle to lay down in the lion's den. Unless, unless you see Jesus Christ willing on the cross to go all the way down to the lowest point of obedience for you, taking on all of your sin, having lived a perfect life, Jesus Christ climbed on the cross, and on the cross, he cried out in his prayer, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why am I so humiliated? Why am I so brought low? And the answer was for you. And for me, the only way that you and I will ever be able to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God is if we see the mighty hand of God laid on Jesus Christ on the cross. And the punishment that brought us peace laid upon him as our substitute on the cross. And when you see Jesus Christ hung on the cross for you, that is the one thing that can make it possible for gazelles to lay down in the lion's den and know that they're perfectly safe, they're perfectly loved, they're fully forgiven, and they're 100% righteous. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and that's not of yourself. It's a gift of God, not on the basis of works, lest any man should boast. See, it's only in the gospel that boasting is driven out and humility pours in. It's only at the foot of the cross where we see God in the flesh suffering for us that we are able to humble ourselves under his mighty hand because we see Jesus humiliated for us under the hand of God's justice and wrath. And it's only through the gospel that we can be, be declared righteous, that I might be found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. That when I put my trust in Jesus Christ, 
I'm forgiven all my sin, and that is a glorious truth. But I am also given the status of righteous. I'm credited with the righteousness of Jesus, and that enables me to pursue humility. Because now I'm not trying to rack up a righteousness of my own. I'm not trying to give God the little trinkets of my obedience. I'm not trying to give him the little dollar store trophies of my own righteousness because I have the full, complete righteousness of Jesus credited to my account. That will kill pride. That will destroy boasting. And that will lead to anxious, free humility. It really, really can. Now, Garrison Keeler, in a moment of incredible honesty, said this about himself. Garrison Keeler, I, I guess he's you know somewhat famous as a radio personality. The, he says this: "I lust after recognition. I am desperate to win all the little merit badges and trinkets of my profession, and I am." of less real use, here's the honesty, I'm of less real use in this world than any good cleaning lady. Now, I'm not bashing cleaning ladies. I'm really thankful for cleaning ladies and cleaning men, for that matter. But Garrison Keillor's gotten to the heart of what makes most of us tick. It's pride. It's a pursuit of worthless trinkets. So give it up. Lay it down. Oh, lay all your deadly doings down, down at Jesus' feet. Find in Him, stand in Him, in Him alone, gloriously complete. Have you? Have you laid your deadly doings down? Won't you? Won't you repent, turn from your sin, realize that even your best works are filthy rags, and your greatest righteousness is as of nothing before him. And turn in simple faith and trust in Christ alone to forgive your sin and to give you a righteousness before God. And if you have, listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, listen, don't pick up your deadly doings again. Leave them. Leave them behind at the foot of the cross. Don't pick those rascals up. Leave them. C.S. Lewis, at the very end of his chapter, says this. If one would like to acquire humility, I can, I think, tell him the first step. The first step is to realize that one is proud. And a biggish step, too. At least nothing, whatever, can be done before it. If you think you're not conceited, it means that you're very conceited indeed. Let's pray. Jesus, help us. Help us to 
hear the music of the gospel again. Help us to see the work that you've done for us on the cross. Help us to behold the glory of your righteousness and, and to see the radiance of your glory as something that will bring us to the lowest of lows and lift us to the highest of highs. Jesus, you invite us to walk humbly with you. And that begins with a simple, repentant faith. The hand of a beckoner reaching out to receive a gift from a king. So Jesus, we hold out empty hands to you. And if you're here and, and you've never put your trust in Christ alone for salvation as he's offered in the gospel, won't you? Won't you admit your need of a savior? Jesus, I admit that, that I've sinned against you in many ways and I'm sorry. And I can never, ever, by all my good works, make up for the evils that I've done. Jesus, I believe that you lived the life that I should have lived and you died the death I deserve to die. Jesus, come into my life as Savior and Lord. Help me by your Holy Spirit to follow you all the days of my life. Jesus, for every follower of Jesus in this room, I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit so that at the same moment, we might know that we're gazelles in the lion's den and we're fully loved, fully known, and fully embraced at the same time. Those two things will make us a humble people, clothing ourselves with humility toward one another. Help us. Submitting ourselves to you, help us. Casting all our anxieties upon you, help us. I pray in Jesus' name, amen.